Do you know that certain peptides can benefit those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's? If you want to learn more about how peptides can help with thyroid autoimmunity and other chronic conditions, then you'll want to check out the brand new Peptide Summit hosted by Dr. Jenny Flagar. In fact, peptides play a huge role in helping Dr. Jenny overcome her Hashimoto's condition. To register for the free Peptide Summit, visit saymythyroid.com forward slash peptides. There are numerous factors that can prevent someone with a thyroid or autoimmune thyroid condition from healing. In this episode, I interviewed Dr. Irene Kopp, who discussed one of the biggest thyroid healing roadblocks. And so if you have been doing things to restore your health, but aren't progressing as expected, then this is one episode you definitely will want to check out. And so let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to the Save My Thyroid podcast, hosted by Dr. Eric Osansky. To stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics, visit SaveMyThyroid.com. The following discussion is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. Now let's head to the show. And with me, I have Dr. Irene Kopp. How are you doing, Dr. Irene? I'm awesome. Thank you, Dr. Eric. How are you? Doing, doing well, doing well. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, you are very welcome. Thanks for joining me. And so we're going to dive into Dr. Irene's bio as she is the founder of the Stress to Success Shift Institute. And so Dr. Irene helps purpose-driven high achievers shift, shift from stress to success in all areas of life, their career and wealth, health and energy, relationships and personal life. So Dr. Irene's comprehensive background and expertise spans both Eastern and Western medicine, holding dual doctor degrees as a medical doctor, as well as a doctor of chiropractic. Uh, and she has extensive training in acupuncture, neuroplasticity, elite performance, psychology, stress management, and resilience. Dr. Irene is a globally sought after speaker, neurophysiological meditation instructor, and host of the in internationally acclaimed podcast, the stress to success shift. And again, thanks. Thanks so much for joining us. And why don't we start out by discussing, giving a little bit of your background and how you ended up creating the stress to success shift Institute. Mm, I would love to. And because I, I believe that it is so, and I was so happy that you asked me to be a guest on your podcast because of your specialized audience is one that I have found really, really needs this message. And, and that is that how I started on this journey, I was already a doctor. I was a single mom of two young boys, four and six years old. I thought I had the world by the tail. I, I was doing it all. I was superwoman. I was you know running my full-time practice. I was on the PTA board of directors. I was on the board of directors for the business association. I was running a whole festival, like local festival that drew like hundreds of thousands of people. Like I was, I was doing it all. And I thought everything was great, right? That's what thought did. Because as you know, Dr. Eric, you know, there's a reason they say doctors make the worst patients. And what I didn't know is that I was physically burned out and had developed 
a physical condition that caused me to lose consciousness while I was driving up in northern Canada. I live in northern, well, I don't live in northern Canada, but I live in Canada. So I was driving to visit a friend and lost consciousness. The road curved and I drove straight into a three-story rock face. That's very common up there. My youngest son was, well, my two sons were in the car with me. My youngest son had a catastrophic brain injury and had to be airlifted to the nearest sick children's hospital in Toronto, three hours. My six-year-old son had PTSD because there were adults who were throwing up at the scene because of what they witnessed and he witnessed the same. And I ended up with 10 broken bones and a mild brain injury. And it was during the first SARS quarantine, right? So COVID is a SARS virus. So take COVID, except the first SARS was even more severe. And I was in hospital on quarantine with these 10 broken bones. But worse than the, the pain, the physical pain of the 10 broken bones was the, the emotional and mental pain that I was experiencing suffering like I almost killed my young sons the two people I cared about more than anything in the world the guilt the shame the remorse was just I was spiraling down I was like I was drowning in in quicksand and it was my inner judge and jury were you know it already convicted me it's like what kind of mother are you what kind of doctor are you for not knowing? Like, what kind of monster are you for hurting these two beautiful souls? And it took a couple of weeks before they even decided that my youngest son was going to live. And after that, even after they decided he was going to live, this top neurosurgeon, like the top in Canada, said, he's never going to walk. He's never going to talk. He's not going to pass high school. So I'm getting this news while I'm lying all broken in my own hospital bed. I was getting news on the other side that my six-year-old son was basically kicked out of school for the remainder of the year. And this happened the day before Mother's Day because he was threatening to hurt others and himself. Like just the anger that was pouring out of him. And it was truly, I thought, the darkest point of my life. It literally was. And and then it got darker, surprisingly, because somehow, even though I couldn't have visitors, I was served with legal papers. And my ex-husband sued me for full custody of our children, saying that I was a danger to them and I was an incompetent mother. And I was lying in this dark hospital room, like, bawling my eyes out, tears just streaming down my face. You know, why me? Why? Why me? And and I actually, like that inner judge and jury agreed with him, agreed with my ex-husband. It's like, yeah, you're right. I'm an awful mother. I don't deserve them. In fact, I am a danger to them. I almost killed them. And this was this dialogue that was swirling around inside of me. And finally, I realized I have a choice. I can either continue to spiral down and frankly, roll over and give up and say, you're right. I don't deserve them. Here, take them. You'll do a far better job. 
we had joint custody before that. Or I realized I could give myself the grace of understanding that what I had experienced, the physical burnout, was something that was actually a silent pandemic that has killed far more people through the years than COVID. And that it's it's hidden and accepted, encouraged, and I'll say expected by our culture to that we have to achieve to be worthy, that we have to give, give, give until we're bled dry. And it's like that gauntlet mentality that if we don't have what it takes, if we're weak, if we're lazy, you know, because we, we're tired, right? That shame, that stigma associated with burnout, then obviously we don't have what it takes and we should just, you know, give up and crawl away into a corner kind of thing. Or better yet, man up suck it up, take it like a man. Guys hear this. We women have our own version of it. And I recognized that far from being alone, hundreds of millions of people, if not billions, now we can say billions, right? Yeah. Are burned out. Over 90% of people are burned out in some areas like some sectors of the workforce. And it's not just workplace related. It's COVID has shown us that, right? That it's 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 our personal lives when life throws its curveballs like COVID. And and guess what? Not only do we have to worry about getting sick ourselves, our family getting sick from COVID. Oh, guess what? Parents still get Alzheimer's. They still get diagnosed with cancer. Or maybe we get diagnosed with breast cancer or prostate cancer. Our kids fall down and break legs. We... We go in and out of lockdowns and we have to homeschool our children and, and juggle our own homework life as, as well. In other words, it's only gotten worse. And what I realized that day was that with my education and then my personal experience, I was the perfect person to lead the charge on eradicating burnout. I call it flame out syndrome since burnout's only supposed to be workplace related. In other words, crash and burn, just like you can if a plane loses its engines, which is where that term comes from. And so I have been on a mission ever since to help as many people in the world as possible avoid suffering what my family and I suffered and almost suffered. In other words, we actually should have died and we didn't. So that is the background story. The Because I refuse to accept that prognosis of my son never being able to walk, talk, or pass high school, I was like over my dead body. I was like, I went looking for the answers. I went looking for the answers and, and actually went back to school, got my medical degree at that point, took six or seven coaching certifications, got certified in brain injury so that I could talk to all the experts in brain injury and so that they would have to pay attention to me. And it's, I went looking for all of the answers, spent years doing it. And I'm happy to say both my sons are doing great. And my youngest son not only walks talks, he's in his fourth year of engineering at one of the best schools in Canada. And just, I cried when he tears of joy this time when he was accepted and it, it wasn't easy and it wasn't just one simple decision 
And it's been worth it every single step of the way, because what I realized is that what helped my family and I heal were the very steps that then I applied to other patients because I was still in physical practice and helped them get the so-called miraculous results that others weren't getting, became known as like the the go-to, the last resort doctor. And that's not arrogance for saying it. I worked hard to find those answers and to become that person with those answers. And it's not rocket science. It's energy efficiency. Really, truly, that's what it comes down to is that when you remove all the energy inefficiencies, guess what? We have this amazing genius, innate genius in our body that allows us to heal and can heal ourselves. So I don't heal anybody else and I'm no longer in physical practice. I now do it virtually with my programs and and group coaching and very few one-to-one coaching. And the beautiful part is I'm not doing it for any of my people, anyone in my community. I'm giving them the tools and guiding them and showing them how to heal themselves and to, and true success to me, when I say shift from stress to success, true success is in all areas of your life. You can't have true success in your career and your wealth if your health and energy is, is down the toilet. And the same with your relationships. In other words, that's not true success. You have to have it everywhere in all parts of your life. Yeah, that is so true. And that's a, a traumatic story, but everything turned out to, for, thankfully, you know, with you and, and your, your sons, I'm glad, you know, they're, they, they're successful now and healthy. And, uh, you know, of course, you turned your life around as well. And now, um, in a way, it's one of those things where, you know, I dealt with Graves' disease. And of course, I help people now with thyroid, autoimmune thyroid conditions. And your experience, of course, now translates, as you mentioned earlier, you turned it around and now you help so many people with burnout and, you know, helping them become successful. So your case was, uh, again, a, an extreme stress situation. And there are a lot of st- extreme s- stress situations out there, but there's also, you know, more everyday chronic stressors as well. And would you say in those situations that, I mean, there's only so much that we could do for the actual stressor. And that's, of course, that's part of what, I guess, the, getting into the perception. is. Would you agree that it's a big part of handling stress, handling burnout, is if you trying to change environment, but also trying to change the perception of the stressor? Oh, absolutely, Dr. Eric. It's... I always say true success is an inside out job and dealing with stress is as well. In fact, Dr. Hans Selye, who's considered the father of stress, he's the one who coined the term stress and the fight or flight and, and did all the research showing the very physical effects of chronic stress. Well, short-term, middle-term and long-term stress. Even he said, and I'll paraphrase him, because it sounds more like Shakespeare says that that stress is neither good nor bad, except thinking makes it so. In other words, stress is when it's used right, is our body's high octane energy. It is our superpower. It is that, you know, if you've heard the I, I guess it must have happened at one point 
they always talk about this, you know, that that stereotype of of a 98 pound mother who lifts a car off her pinned child, right? Because the stress and and the fear for her son or child gives her that strength in the moment. You couldn't pay that woman millions of dollars to do it any other time, right? It's in the moment and it's using her high octane energy. And, and that's the beautiful part about it, right? Stress is our stress response, I'm going to say, is, again, a beautiful part of what makes us amazing. And it's not just us. We share it with the animal kingdom, right? Stress response is our survival mode. And we all have our different ways of being hardwired. So just as a gazelle runs when faced with a tiger or a honey badger turns and fights or a rabbit just paralyzed, shaking with fear, hoping nobody notices or the possum like falls down and plays dead, right? We humans have the same hardwired responses. We either run, we fight, we freeze, or we faint, right? The four Fs. So that part is a very necessary mechanism and it's what has kept us alive for the most part and and allowed us to survive so well through the millennia where it becomes unhealthy is we are the only animals in that we know of in the universe where we have we can continuously think about what happened in the past and because part of that survival instinct is to think pessimistically and negatively. We don't necessarily, we don't tend to focus on the glory days when we think about the past. We tend to focus on the, that fight I had with my spouse or my boss said that to me or the trauma that we have suffered, right? In other words, when we, we dwell on the past, it's like all the things that went wrong. And by the same token, we're the only animals who can focus on the future and future pace. And again, because part of what we're instinctively up until now been raised with is that pessimism, that negativity, that cautiousness, right? We don't tend to think about all how things are going to go well for us in the future. Our automatic default is to, how are things going to go badly for me? You know, am I going to be able to pay my bills? Am I, you know, am I going to get sick? Am I going to be alone for the rest of my life? In other words, when we worry, right, that's future pacing and it's negative. We are, and we are the only ones who can think, dwell on the past, and it's typically negatively, and and worry about the future, which is negatively. And both of those ramp up our stress response. So. Then you add on a huge dollop of COVID and we literally are not getting a break. We are living in our stress responses. And so unlike the gazelle, that hopefully if they make it clear of the lion or tiger and, uh, you know, they're not meat for somebody, within about 20 minutes after all of the stress, you know, stress neurotransmitters, their adrenaline, you know, you know, is used up and leaves their body, leaves the system, they literally just shake it off and they go back to grazing. 
They don't like stand there shivering with fear, looking over their shoulder going, what if there's another lion? What if there's another lion? I can't believe what happened to me. Did you see what happened to me? I almost got eaten. Right? Gazelles don't do that. We humans do. And so there's a lot of the perception of what you're talking about, Dr. Eric, that we, we bring it on ourselves. And I say that with all the love in my heart. That we are creating, we're we're it's like we're we're continuously being chased by that lion, a tiger, right? We're constantly living or barely surviving in in stress and survival mode. And the challenge with that is that it's really great for when you're in the short term, right? And you have the adrenaline, you know, that's the gazelle running away or the honey badger, like or the 98 pound mother lifting the car, right? It's not meant to last for hours, right? The adrenaline is a very short term, high octane juice fuel. Then your cortisol hormone ramps up and that's kind of like your marathon, right? It's, it's a hormone. It's not a neurotransmitter. Neurotransmitter is a chemical messenger that, that happens in milliseconds. And so that's like, I got to do something now, right? The cortisol takes more time to ramp up, but it's like that, okay, a dang lion's not leaving me alone. I got got to keep going. I got to keep going. I got to keep going. And it's not as high octane as the adrenaline, but it does the trick as far as it's meant to, which is keeps you alive as much as possible. The challenge, again, is that it's only meant to be for a relatively short period of time, again, to allow you to get to safety so that then you can rest and relax and recuperate. And the problem, the challenge is that if it keeps going and keeps going, the long-term effects of having the cortisol hormone running through our body, it massively creates havoc because one way that it gives our our bodies enough juice to keep going is that it ramps up blood sugar. So it ramps up blood sugar and you pack on the pounds, which then can lead to high blood sugar and it could lead to diabetes, which then can lead to heart disease and cardiovascular disease. It also ramps up the blood pressure, which also leads to cardiovascular disease. It messes with all of the other hormones in your body, which includes your hypothalamus, your pituitary. And Dr. Eric, I'm sure you talk with your audience about this, your community, because guess what? There's the thyroid hormone, right? And and your thyroid, of course, is the meta- metabolism. I need more, I need more, I need more. And it can lead to problems, you know, crappy sleep. It, it messes with your hormone balance and it causes inflammation in the body. And inflammation in the body is that it's a derangement of the immune system where it kind of goes all wonky, right? Where you get allergies that maybe you didn't have before or you haven't had in years. Uh, Food sensitivities is another one. And then, of course, autoimmune conditions like Graves, right? So in other words, and and. I know you and I have talked about this in the past, and that is, and I've talked with other experts of other autoimmune conditions, because it's wherever your weak link is, right? Whether it's Graves or Hashimoto's or multiple sclerosis or rheumatoid arthritis, uh, I could keep naming lupus, 
really it's it's an autoimmune condition that happens because of this stress response and there's very typically trauma at the root of it whether it's massive trauma or it's cumulative micro traumas and so this is how chronic stress and our body's way that it's trying to deal with it actually causes and greatly aggravates autoimmune conditions. So I'm sure, again, your your community may have found that even if they were under control before, all of a sudden things are out of whack and they're coming to you and going, Dr. Eric, what's going on here? We need to like rejig things, right? So that is how it can the chronic stress directly leads to the development of Graves' condition. And if it keeps going, you end up with what's called adrenal exhaustion, where you got nothing. And that's where it can get a whole lot worse from there, physically, mentally, and emotionally. Yeah, thanks for making that connection, because that was one of the things, of course, I wanted to discuss with you. So you beat me to the punch and automatically just um, dove into the connection between, you know, stress and autoimmunity. And like you said, it's not just Graves disease, but Hashimoto's, multiple sclerosis, pretty much any autoimmune condition. And I could say from self-experience, I definitely, stress was definitely a big factor in the development of my Graves condition. And there's, you know, different types of stressors, Uh, emotional stressors definitely played a role. I think overtraining also in my case, also put a lot of strain on the adrenals. And in my case, I did adrenal testing. I do a lot of adrenal testing with my patients. So we a lot of times confirm that, you know, the cortisol levels, as you mentioned, are not looking good. And a lot of people have the low, low or depressed DHEA levels. And, you know, not only will well, that dysregulation of that HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, re- leads to that pro-inflammatory state. But another mechanism is with autoimmunity, you have that increase in intestinal permeability. Part of what I've, yes. I've discussed in the past, triad of autoimmunity, and one of those components is a leaky gut. And when you have the high cortisol levels that could decrease secretory IgA, which lines the mucosal surfaces of the body, including the gastrointestinal tract. So that could be a factor when it, in causing a leaky gut and also could be maybe not directly causing autoimmunity, but be a, at least a contributing factor. So it's, uh, again, thanks for making that connection. And when it comes to trauma, so you mentioned that there's severe trauma, there's you know different types of traumas, so, and I've heard you in the past discussing the different types of trauma, and I wanted you to, if you could elaborate a little bit more on that. Oh, I'd love to, because it's it's such a huge um, factor, and I loved how you tied it all together with the physiological side of, of how it impacts, uh, stress impacts, Graves' disease. And trauma can be physical, mental, emotional. And, and it, that may sound strange to, to say, a physical trauma, I'll give an example, after I broke the 10 bones, not only was I already burnt out, I was 35, and I'll be you know a little bit vain and say I didn't look 35, but I had, you know, somebody had brought in a, a picture for me of my sons and myself that had only been taken like a few months earlier, and it was sitting, you know, on my, my hospital table. And an orderly came in 
And he looked at me, he looked at the picture and he goes, is that you? I went, yeah. He goes, you looked so young then. Now, aside from the fact that somebody obviously didn't teach him that you're not supposed to say that to a woman, <laughs> he was right. In other words, it was like I had aged 10 years overnight, right? That is the physical impact of breaking 10 bones. I literally, my hair went darker. Like I have a picture afterwards when I was sitting and able to get in a wheelchair and sitting in a wheelchair and in my back is, is to the camera. And if I hadn't known it was me, I wouldn't have recognized me because my hair was a dark brown. It literally changed it. And people will talk about that, right? When they go through, say, breast cancer treatment or cancer, like chemotherapy, and their hair will, you know, go curly or it'll go straight or it, they'll lose it or they'll, or it'll go dark or right <laughs> it's, it's it's interesting how our body will respond to physical trauma and then there's the mental and emotional trauma and i've had people say to me well i've never had trauma I'm like oh okay so let's let's talk through it and see and often what they don't mean is that they don't have trauma that they recognize as being trauma in other words, and that can happen in a number of ways. In the extreme, and I've had this happen because I had an abusive childhood due to a father with PTSD, I didn't remember anything before the age of eight. In other words, it was a survival mechanism, and it's well known in the literature that where people will have amnesia after trauma, like they, they have selective memory, they just don't remember. Or it may be that it was considered acceptable so it wasn't considered to be trauma and a good example of this is abuse like physical abuse up until not that long ago in in real terms in relative terms in the UK there was a law and this is where the phrase comes rule of thumb that a man could not hit his wife and children or animals with a stick thicker than his thumb. That was considered what was humane. It was in the law. In other words, and at that time, women were considered chattels. Children were considered chattels, property. And it was not only accepted that a man might beat his family. It was considered expected that he should keep them in line. You know, another phrase, spare the rod, spoil the child, right? And even though at some point women gained the right to vote and were no longer under the law considered property, old programming dies hard. So there have been a lot of generations down since that time that grew up with well, that's just the way things were. You got whacked with the with the belt or the rod or, right? Or if the wife wasn't doing what she was supposed to, didn't get the dinner on table in time, you know, she got whacked. In other words, it, so there's a huge part of our programming that may still be telling us that, well, that's not trauma. Or it may be the micro traumas. In other words, that's, Instead of one big event, how about a whole bunch of little traumas, just like little adversities, just wearing you down, wearing you down, wearing you down, right? And and it can be even the anticipation of trauma that's shown in vets 
who were, uh, you know, waiting to be deployed to Afghanistan. They didn't have to go to Afghanistan. It was just, again, remember I said, the future pacing, the worrying. In other words, they were already there in their minds. And there was like that fear and that negative anticipation of any time now I'm going to get called up. Anytime that phone rings, that's going to be the call or that email, right? So you're, you're constantly on tender hooks. So that's another way that personal trauma can happen. And then there are two other types of trauma that we're just starting to learn about. One is intergenerational trauma which is where our parents, our grandparents, anyone who raised us and perhaps the trauma they went through, they, they teach unconsciously their, their fear responses and their physical reactions to the trauma they had to the children. So that would be a case where uh, a mother's afraid of spiders and yink! And, and so the child leans to go, Eek! right? In other words, as they're being a sponge and collecting all of the, the downloading, all the programming as, as a child, they, they, they also, there's like, they, there's no filter, right? They download the good, bad, and ugly. And just like, bring it on, just load me up, right? So in other words, it can be trauma that we didn't even personally experience ourselves. And now they also realize that there's something called that I call epigenetic trauma and PTSD. And that is where your forebearers, your ancestors went through trauma and it changed and modified the expression of the DNA, your genes. So that they've shown that fear responses can be transmitted down even without having direct contact, con contact with that person. Physical conditions can become part of it as well, like where they show that that offspring of people who have gone through trauma have a higher mortality rate and, and increase physical diseases than their siblings who were born before. Same family, same household. The only thing that changed is that one was born after. And so literally the DNA was transmitted and it was modified. So, and that is an area that's just, it's, it's on the cutting edge of, of what they're learning about. And they know that it goes back at least three generations. And the reality is they don't know how far it goes back. So when you look at just in the last 100 years of what our ancestors have gone through on a global scale, a couple world wars, at least one great depression, multiple other wars, slavery, aboriginal mistreatment, maltreatment. And then that's not even including the personal traumas that have happened in, in lives. In other words, you can look at at cultures, at, at countries, at even your personal family and go, wow, what trauma am I being impacted by that I don't even know that has set me up for failure physically, mentally, and emotionally. And that is why in my programs, I devote a huge part of it to releasing that trauma because it is a massive energy vampire 
that's just sucking the energy right out of you so that you don't have that opportunity to heal. And on top of that is without you even realizing it, putting you into survival mode. It's like you unconsciously are continuously living that trauma and reliving that trauma and the impacts of that trauma. And and you may be aware of it, you may not be aware of it. And all of that leads to that chronic stress, that adrenal exhaustion, and can then lead to graves. Pretty amazing, the connection. Do you then take a different approach? Like if someone... If someone is dealing with a current stressor, you know, whether it be that they're a caretaker or again, they have a, you know, a job that's really stressful and they're just not in the position where they could leave the job compared to someone where the stressor was in the past. It was a past trauma, but it's, it's still an issue. It is, it's whether it was a trigger for graves or Hashimoto's or again, a different autoimmune condition or preventing them from, you know, recovering from their current autoimmune condition? Is it a similar approach regardless of the the, the nature of the stressor or whether it was a past trauma? Yes and no. I'm a firm believer that awakening awareness is 80% of the battle and the solution. And it's not to say that you can't heal without it. It's just if somebody is having challenges. And Dr. Eric, I, I, I know you're a phenomenal doctor. And even you might have those clients, patients that no matter how right the treatments are, they're just not getting better. Right. So there's an example of where you can be doing everything right. Just as before I crashed and burned, I was doing everything right, which is why I didn't even think about it. I ate right. I slept well. I exercised. I, I was a meditation instructor. So I taught meditation and did meditation. I did yoga. And I, was, I did all of that. And I was still set up for failure by these energy vampires. And in other words, you can, you can do the right nutrition. You can take the right supplements. You can, you can work on on the the hormone balances you can do all of that right and that's important absolutely and if somebody's still not getting better and this is why I kept looking for those answers is that if somebody's still not getting better despite the best treatments out there then there's something else at play whether you recognize what it is or not and there are two approaches you can do a general elimination diet, if you want to call that, of trauma and stress, where you you work, you use the tools to work through just how you're feeling. I'm feeling anxious. I'm I'm feeling low, feeling I'm feeling despair. I'm feeling hopeless. I'm I'm angry. I'm feeling right. So you can like work through that. And in my experience, the more that you can drill down and get to the root cause, the more likely that you're going to pull out the whole weed, the whole thorn that's been sticking you in the side and, and where you can truly heal. Otherwise it just may take longer. And so for somebody who has trauma in the past and they can, and they know what it is, or we work together through it to figure out what it might be, then that is incredibly impactful. 
for somebody who is going through current or, you know, they're worried about the future, that actually can be even more challenging because when you are feeling powerless, when you're feeling like life is being done to you, and let's face it, most of the world is feeling that way right now, you are unwittingly the victim in your story. And people don't like to think of themselves as victims. And it's it, it means simply that, where you are not in control, where you feel powerless. And as long as you feel powerless and don't recognize that you have the ability to change your situation, and if you don't believe that you can change, then you can't. I always say it's like it, it comes down to choice and choosing to know that that you have that ability first and foremost, because otherwise you're in a cage of your own making. It's that learned helplessness. I I, I love the analogy, not so much how this analogy came to be, that how they train adult elephants to stay put, you know, the biggest mammal in the world, land mammal anyway, is that they start out as a baby and they'll put the big, heavy, honking chain around their leg and they'll bolt it into cement and that baby elephant will try pulling and pulling and pulling and they can't get free. And after a while, they stop trying so that they get to be an adult elephant, the biggest, strongest in the world. And all they have to do is tie a little rope to it and maybe even attach it to a chair that's not bolted down. And that elephant won't even try to get free. That is learned helplessness. And unfortunately, because of whether it's because of our programming or trauma that we've experienced and adversity that has taught us that we were we were powerless before, so we don't try now, or maybe a belief. Right? I had a patient say to me once, Well, I had just been diagnosed with prostate cancer. And I went, hmm, how do you feel about that? Because well, I was expecting it, you know, all the men in my family get prostate cancer. My father had it, my brother had it. I knew it was a matter of time before I got prostate cancer. Right? <laughs> it's there's the biology of belief, as Dr. As, as Bruce Lipton would say. In other words, it and it's also adds into the victim. That learned helplessness that well, why even bother trying? Why even bother trying? Because I can't do anything about it anyway. So that is how those are. It's it's the awareness that makes the difference. And the key for the victim is awakening awareness to go, wow, it doesn't have to be this way. Just that one tiny shift, tiny shift. It doesn't have to be this way. Now what? Yeah. So you help people to overcome that learned helplessness and, and doing it in other ways. Because I do recommend for most of my patients, mind-body medicine techniques, such as yoga, meditation, deep breathing. Some people are religious about doing it. And some people, of course, don't do it. Some people might do it randomly. But either way, it sounds like it goes way beyond you know doing meditation, way beyond doing yoga. In some cases, obviously, for for a good number of people, that might be enough. But, but as you said, if someone 
and especially if someone is doing that, let's say they, they are incorporating mind-body medicine techniques and they're doing everything, as you mentioned earlier, which not only sometimes happens with me, but with all practitioners where, you know, people will reach a roadblock. So this learn helplessness definitely is something people should look into. And I'm sure, I'm sure it's, it comes to relief to some people listening to this too, because there is a, I can imagine how frustrating it is for someone who is actually doing everything following the diet, doing mind body medicine and, you know, everything else that is recommended taking the supplements and they're still not healing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. And, and the difference is that mind, but most mind body medicine, and I'm a neurophysiological meditation instructor. I get it. I, I, and I love it and I love yoga and, and I advocate for all of those mindset practices gratitude, appreciation. There's so much that you can do to help yourself. And that's conscious level. The major roadblock that I talk about in my five step, five steps to shift from stress to success blueprint is that when you're in stress, when you're in survival mode, it literally wipes out your prefrontal cortex. That's the fancy word for the part of your brain that's behind your forehead. And that's what I call your rock star executive team. In other words, you it's what's responsible for being able to think straight, think logically, make good decisions, remember things, uh, come up with creative solutions, be motivated to take action. How about just even take the action? And then very importantly, emotional inhibition so that you're not crying at the drop of a hat or flying off the handle at loved ones or coworkers. Right. In other words, that is all the very important functions that are wiped out when you're in survival mode. And all we have to do is look around the world to see, because as we just said, most people are in survival mode right now. And and a lot of the anger and the fear and the polarity that we're seeing right now is that survival mode. Right. People are either going to their hardwired, they want to fight, or they just they're afraid and they're shivering in fear, and that's not a judgment in the slightest. Right. So as long as your executive team is offline, then mind-body practices, number one, you're not likely going to do them. And number two, they're not going to work because it takes conscious thought to think, oh, I'm going to be grateful right now. Or I'm going to be mindful right now and 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 actively appreciate what's going around. It's like, no, you're in survival mode. You're like, it, you want that to happen. You want the prefrontal cortex to be wiped out so that you can go into your hardwired survival mode, whatever that happens to be. In other words, it's not the time to sit there and go, oh, let me see, there's a lion about to, you know, that's approaching me. Should I run? Should I fight? Should I freeze and pretend he doesn't see me? Like, no, it's like you need to go into whatever survival mode you are being suited for. So that's the good part about it. And that's why I teach what I lovingly call SOS tools that get to that unconscious level so that they can then kickstart, right? It, It decreases down the stress response. So that you have that reset, that relaxation, that, 
okay, just like the gazelle, so that then your rock star executive team can kick back in and then you can go, yeah, you know, I think it would be a good thing for me to meditate today, right? So that is everything that I teach and perhaps what is different than what many others is that I focus on the unconscious level first because that's where your survival mode is. It's deep down in that primitive part of your brain that you share with all other animals. And it's like an iceberg where, you know, yes, the the part that's sticking out of the water looks majestic and, and beautiful. And the reality is the massive bulk of the iceberg, which can be the most dangerous part as the Titanic found out, is hidden underneath the water and that's like your unconscious mind so everything i teach every tool i teach is about blasting away at that underside to release it so that it's done in the fastest easiest most powerful way possible because i'm kind of an impatient person so it's i i go looking for things that give you the results yesterday as much as possible so that's that's the difference And yes, I agree with you that if there's anyone listening who hasn't been getting the results and maybe you're frustrated, maybe you're impatient like me, maybe you're to the point of just like feeling despair, like there's no hope, like I'm I'm just always going to be stuck with this and and the fear of, oh my gosh, is this going to keep getting worse and worse and worse? What's my life going to look like? Just know that there is hope and there are tools. Because I personally, in my clients, many clients, I've seen, as I said, those so-called miraculous results that I look at it and I just go, it's just energy efficiency. We've improved the energy efficiency. That's all it is. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing this information. And you mentioned a blueprint. If you could, I think a five, is it a five-step blueprint? Can you uh, can you let people know where to get the blueprint? Also, Feel free to share your website, Let it, remind them of your podcast. And you also have an upcoming boot camp as well. So I know a lot of a lot of information, but if you could just share where they could uh, find out some of this information. Absolutely. So the five-step stress to success shift blueprint is, as I said, the five steps that I realized that my family and I needed to go through to heal, which is part of success. And, and then I used like with so many other people as well and now online. And each of those five steps lead you from, allow you to shift, pun intended, from stress to success. And if any one of those steps is out of line, then, and isn't, you haven't taken care of it, then that's going to be a major roadblock. So I have also recognized, because as I said, I did everything right. And I still developed catastrophic burnout, flameout syndrome. And I realized that what set me up for failure were those energy inefficiencies, the faulty programming, the fears, trauma. I had a lot of trauma, as well as the self-sabotage patterns that were at play. So... I created, number one, I have a workbook that your audience can can download. 
and it's a bitly link that I'll I'll give you. It's yeah, it's, I'll put in the show, I'll put all the links in the show notes. Right. So. And it's it's awakening awareness around your success blocks. Because remember I said awareness is 80% of the battle and the solution. And then because I realized that this was something that was so needed, I created a four-week boot camp. And it's called Retrain Your Brain Boot Camp. And it's four weeks to, to shift from stress to success. And it's all about clearing the biggest, baddest of each of those four areas. The worst programming glitches that I've seen in most people, the big fears, the sabotage patterns, and the trauma, the personal, intergenerational, and epigenetic. And so that is, there's a group starting on January 17th as well. And it's, that will be led by another doctor that I think you may know too, Dr. Dan Carlicchio. He's one of my team members and I'll be there as well. So that is an opportunity to, to really, truly start. Let's dig down deep. And finally, once and for all, let's release those energy inefficiencies, those energy vampires so that you can heal and have the best, most successful life possible. Wonderful. And if they're not ready yet to dive into that, well, there's the blueprint, but there's also the podcast too. So the, the stress to success shift podcast. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I have my own podcast and Dr. Eric, you're going to be on there soon. We'll be talking about flip the tables on you and be interviewing you. And, and that's the beautiful part about it is that we all bring value. And yes, my podcast is called the stress to success shift. And there is the awakening awareness workbook that they can do around their success blocks. And my website is drirenecop.com. And you can find me on social media as well. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks again, Dr. Irene. Appreciate the, the time and all the information you provided. Mm, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much, Dr. Eric. Thank you for listening to the Save My Thyroid podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe to stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review. Thank you so much for tuning in. Although stress and emotional trauma definitely can prevent someone from healing, there of course can be other thyroid healing roadblocks. For example, someone can have a hidden infection that is perpetuating the autoimmune response, thus preventing someone from getting into remission. And I think it's safe to say that one of the biggest reasons why people relapse after they get into remission is what was discussed in this episode. Of course, there could be other reasons why someone relapses, such as eating inflammatory foods on a consistent basis, but stress and emotional trauma are probably the number one reason why some people with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's will relapse after achieving a state of remission. I want to let you know about a product called Hepatomune Supreme, which is a unique supplement that has a rare combination of N-acetylcysteine, also known as NAC, milk thistle, and schisandra to support the liver. And it also has a few mushrooms that can help support the immune system, including cordyceps, which has both immune modulating and adaptogenic properties and is great for those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's. To learn more about Hepatomune Supreme, visit SaveMyThyroid.com forward slash liver support.